Hey guys, this is AC, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how, y'all. Uswe here, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. Today, we have an emergency pod. Joining me today on this emergency pod is AC. What's up, guys? And Anu. Yo, what's good, guys? So as many of you know, last night, there was a major bombshell trade in the league. Anu, can you tell us about it? Yeah, and guys, there were so many things that happened last night. So let's start with the most obvious thing. The Nets acquired James Harden from the Rockets. Yes, I know. It sounds crazy. Um, The Rockets, they sent three first-round picks. Uh, an unprotected pick from the Bucks, which originally was from the Cavs, so that's for 2022, a 2024 pick, and a 2026 pick, and four more first-round unprotected pick swaps to the Houston Rockets. The Rockets also ended up with Victor Oladipo, Rodians Kuruks, and Dante Exum from the Cavaliers. The Cavs ended up getting Jared Allen and Torian Prince, and the Pacers got Karis Levert. Well, guys, in our... NBA Christmas wishlist podcast. I had but one simple wish for the NBA that Santa could come through for me and prevent James Hart from going to the Nets and creating a new super team. <laughs> Santa, you have let me down. You've let this league down. What was your guys' instant reaction when you heard this news? As a Sixers fan, I went through the five stages of grief. First, there was denial. There was no way Daryl Morey dropped the ball on this trade. And surely those rumors about Tillman Fertitta refusing to work with Maury weren't true, right? Then it went to anger. Are you serious Daryl Maury dropped the ball on this? Fertitta is such a small man for letting his ego ruin the parity of the league. Then there's bargaining. Well, maybe Adam Silver or the owners can find a way to undo or veto this trade for the, the sake of league parity and the overall product of the league. Then came depression. It's over. It's a foregone conclusion that we're going to get our ass kicked by this Nets team because we're just not talented enough. And there's really no point in watching the rest of this season because these guys will just waltz into the finals and win it. How do you match this kind of offensive production? And then there's finally acceptance. This wasn't Daryl Morey's fault. Fertitta just used us to drive up the price. Trust in the genius Daryl Morey to make moves to take us to the promised land. And actually, if you really think about it, This Nets team has a lot of holes, and Embiid's having a monster season, so I could definitely see him, or even Giannis, giving serious problems, though their respective supporting casts are weak. Personally, I feel like the Nets will have a lot of trouble defending the Clippers, and especially the Lakers. So, I guess where I'm at right now is all is well. Sometimes a more compelling season is when there's a team we can all root against. Peace, love, and happiness. <laughs> well, that, I mean, the funny thing is, uh, our, our text thread, I could see Asui going through these exact five stages. Like, he literally didn't even want to do a podcast up when he was super angry. And then he kind of thought he was like, you know, I think they're kind of beatable. It was just hilarious to see over the course of the night. Yeah, man, the, the grief was definitely real. I feel like Sixers fans everywhere shed a tear or two after hearing the news. Um, how, how did you guys feel? 
Well, my first thought was that it just sucked that Harden could behave so unprofessionally and get exactly what he wanted, right? Like this guy shows up to the training camp 10 to 20 pounds overweight, and that's after he already blatantly violated the COVID protocol by partying it up in multiple cities over multiple nights. He also bitched about his teammates and for no real reason, because frankly, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, a lot of guys in this team did nothing uh, that he should be upset about. And, you know, guys like P.J. Tucker have done all the dirty work for years for him. And, like, think about John Wall. Like, this guy literally only ended up on this team because, you know, Harden wanted Westbrook gone, or at least he drove Westbrook out of town. So it sucked, right? And then in the games he actually played, he played so embarrassingly half-ass that it would make Vince Carter look like he was actually trying when he was trying to get his way force out of Toronto. <laughs> oh, man. So it just kind of sucked to see that his unprofessionalism was rewarded so far. My second thought was kind of like about Kevin Durant, right? I mean, here's a guy who leaves his this unfairly stacked super team that he joined after choking to that team and then immediately forms another unfairly stacked super team in the first year that he's able to play again. Kevin Durant is a top 10 all-time talent, right? He doesn't need to be flanked by an MVP, but really outside of his rookie season, He's always had at least one former or future MVP on his team. And now he's got Harden back on his team again, who's basically been the NBA's most unstoppable score for the past five seasons, at least, you know, in the regular season. And that's in addition to having Kyrie as the third option. You know, the guy who was the second best player on a team that upset the 73-win Warriors. So it's just a ridiculous collection of talent. That being said, my third thought, guys, is that I feel like this team has a high combustibility potential. They're either going to be completely unstoppable or wind up being a total disaster. On the one hand, there's no precedent for three guys who are this ball dominant to be on the same team. So we don't even know it's going to work out on the court. But forget the on the court stuff for a second. We're talking about three of the NBA's premier divas playing on the same team. We're talking about Kyrie Irving, who's thrown everyone under the bus on each of his previous teams and has done the same to the Nets. We talk about James Harden, who's chased away everyone from Dwight to Chris Paul to Westbrook. And we're talking about Kevin Durant, who's the most sensitive player in the league, who left Golden State, one of the most you know, unselfish teams in recent memory, because he didn't get enough credit. It's funny. This is going to be a locker room with two massive head cases and the star with the thinnest skin in NBA history in the most brutal media market in the league. It's <laughs> a hot mess in a dumpster fire in a nuclear war zone. <laughs> holy shit <laughs> really it is yeah, that, that's one way to describe it for sure um i mean when i looked at it right like my first thought was like literal shock like to be honest with you guys i really thought it was a joke at first i just couldn't imagine a scenario where the nets got to keep Kyrie as well as acquire james harden it, it just felt like so surreal to me like i thought at least they'd have to give Kyrie up but I mean, they kept all three of these guys. And in, in some ways, I felt that it was like super unfair that the most problematic players in the league were able to get their way. It's kind of like watching your bratty younger sibling get their way because they complained to mom and now you're the one that's grounded. Like, <laughs> I, I just feel like it's just crazy, right? And my next thought was that parody in the league was ruined. We were just coming into a season where there wasn't really a clear-cut winner. Sure, some people would say that the Lakers, given their free agency moves, but I don't think it's as pronounced as some people would have liked to think because you saw the Clippers, and then from the East, you had contenders like the Bucks, uh, Sixers, Miami. 
And now it's just like Nets, 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 Nets. So uh, it's just really silly, right? Like the Nets have three guys now who are easily capable of going off for 40 a night. Durant is already unstoppable. We know this. And now you add another guy who's has one of the most crazy moves in NBA history being his step back on the squad. And then your third option is arguably the best ball handler in NBA history, who is also one of the best finishers around the rim as well. Oh, and like, let's not forget, he's extremely clutch and an incredible shot creator in his own right. Right. So during that time, I was like, damn, is there anything that the Nets can't do? And I guess there's a lot if you like think about it. So one silver lining is that come playoff time, it's going to be really interesting to see how they can manage the egos of all three of these guys and how they're going to play with losing like key pieces like Lovert and Allen. And again, Harden's always primed for playoff flameouts, so we can sort of put our faith in that as well. So with those things in mind, I guess that's my take on the whole situation. So I guess the question is, do you guys think that the Nets are now the title favorites? Well, the Nets are unquestionably the favorites in the East, right? Because the sheer offensive production this team would have with a lineup of Kyrie, Harden, KD, Harrison, basically any fifth guy, they could get a guy off the street. Uh, that offensive production is still better than anyone in the East, without question. But the fact that they lost all size other than DeAndre Jordan and a 2019 second round pick named Nick Claxton? You know, if you think about it, DeAndre's PER of 12 is below average. And he has a plus minus. Wait, wait, wait. wait. He has a PER of 12 this season? (laughs) (laughs) And his plus minus is a minus 1.6. You know, what's one of the funniest things about this trade is that this weird blood pack that Kyrie and Durant have with DeAndre Jordan is coming to bear here, right? Because don't forget, they got Kenny Atkinson literally fired because he wouldn't start the better player in Jared Allen over DeAndre Jordan. And now they got exactly what they wished for because DeAndre Jordan's going to play a huge role on this team. Now this Claxton fellow has played less than 200 minutes and is injured. So if KD is their center, Embiid and Davis are going to wreck them. See, I, I find it hard to put the Nets ahead of a team like the Lakers and Clippers who can match them offensively simply because the Nets have absolutely no one to legitimately guard Guys like Kawhi, LeBron, and AD who will just hunt weak defenders like Harden and Kyrie. And the Lakers and Clippers have depth to throw out the stars. And think about it like this, right? If you think about Joel Embiid or Giannis, they are complete beasts. And the one thing that always stops them is a solid big in the middle. But DeAndre Jordan is not stopping Giannis, and DeAndre Jordan is not stopping Joel Embiid. Certainly not this season's Joel Embiid. So I just don't see it. That being said, the Nets do have a limited number of moves that they could make to fill their roster. They have a mid-level exception, which will allow them to sign a player on the buyout market for a prorated portion of $5.7 million. They have a disabled player exception because of Dinwiddie's partially torn ACL, which is also $5.7 million. It's not a, it's, that's a coincidence only because it's half of Dinwiddie's salary which they can use in a buyout market or in a trade. And then Dinwiddie's salary itself of $11.7 million with full bird rights, which any team interested in signing him in the offseason um, or who would want to move off some salary would definitely bite on that. So they, they, they're very limited on the moves they can make, but they're not completely out of the market. 
Well, they are also limited in the sense that they just have traded so many future picks and, and uh, the rights to swap picks. So they just can't juice up trades with first-round picks, which makes it much more difficult for them to explore the trade market. So I, I kind of feel like they're a little bit stuck with what they have outside of the buy- buyout market and maybe a Dinwiddie move. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I don't think they have the flexibility to make many moves, but just seeing what the roster is right now, I still think they're probably the clear favorites favorites to not only win the East, but I think just to win the chip in general. Um, I, I don't think I'm the only person who really believes that, right? Like, I, I, first of all, I, I think that the lineup constructions that they can have will be super deadly um, with obviously having a death lineup where Kevin Durant is at the five or and like they have so many like good players like Kyrie Harden and then a guy who goes really underrated is Joe Harris, right? Joe Harris is extremely good um, on both sides of the ball. Um, fantastic shooter, pretty underrated interior score and cutter as well. And um, I, I know that this might not be a popular opinion, but I, I think Jeff Green is also going to be pretty big for them as well. You've got to be kidding me. Jeff Green. Are you serious? That's, that's who you're relying upon, Jeff Green. I've seen this guy time and again from OKC, Boston, Cleveland, like he'll have one great game and then he'll have like three horrible games where he can't even get even remotely near the rim. Of course, Rungo was making fun of this one year where I was just railing on Jeff Green over and over again because he was just making every mistake imaginable. I I just, if that's going to be their fifth guy, I feel pretty good about their chances of of being defeated. I I mean, (laughs) like it's a fair opinion to have, right? But like, let's remember, if he's going to be the fifth option on a team behind... Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> right? Like, I, I mean, like, he, he can provide the things that you kind of want out of that 5-4 that spot, right? Like, he can space the floor pretty effectively. Um, he's a good pick-and-roll option. Um, not the best of defenders, but, like, he can definitely get a stop here and there and rebound a little bit, right? So... Yeah, but Anu, like, that also means that he's going to be the guy that can rely upon to stop Embiid, Davis, probably Giannis. You know, I, I just, you know, on top of the fact that his shot is super unreliable, right? I mean, he's a guy who will be hot for a game or two and literally just vanish. I think that's fair. But going to your point, specifically talking about offense and like how many times they need to get a stop. Like, I, I don't think that's as big of a deal as like you or anyone else is going to make it out to be, because I just think that these guys are so gifted offensively now that another team is actually going to be put under pressure to not make any offensive errors because it's on that end of the floor that they need to be exploited. And if a team can't exploit them on that side of the ball, then I think they're just going to be playing catch up. It's like a lot of what the Rockets used to do of old. Now they weren't a good defensive team, but they would just flood people with how quickly they could get shots up and how many three point attempts they would have. Right. So because of those reasons, I feel like the, the nets are going to be really hard to beat. Uh, and it reminds me a little bit of like a very sweaty competitive 2K game, right? So, and I play a lot of 2K for those who don't know. So I've been in these games a lot. So like defense doesn't matter. It's a purely offensive game. The minute you mess up, you effectively shoot yourself in the foot. Now, obviously the NBA is not some virtual simulation, though. I mean, it might as well be given what the hell just happened. But the concept is still there where you really need to keep pace with these guys. Otherwise, it's going to be a long night and you're just going to get flooded. I totally agree with you from the sense that they're going to be unbelievably difficult to guard, right? They have three of the best one-on-one players in the history of the game. And now when they're on the same squad, you just can't double any of them because they have so much talent. And as you mentioned, they have Joe Harris, who's a dead-eye shooter. 
So teams are going to have to live with switching against these guys. But they have three players who destroy switches. Like if you put a big on to Kyrie, he's going to murder that. You can't put a big on to uh, really any of these guys or even a small on to a guy like Duran. He's going to kill that. So they're going to be able to score really efficiently against basically any defense. On the other hand, though, as Osby kind of hinted at, I just don't think their defense is going to be good enough to hold up against the best teams in high leverage moments. Or at least we don't have enough evidence to say that it's going to be able to. Now, they lost Jared Allen, who's by far their best defensive player. Their sole rim protector is DeAndre Jordan, who's frankly looked pretty washed up for a couple of years now. And, and even in his prime, was a bit overrated as a defender. He was, he, was a, he was a stat chaser more than an actual good defender. And aside from rim protection, they don't really have any plus perimeter defenders either. I mean, they're going to have to depend heavily on Kevin Durant for both rim protection and as their best defender on opponents' elite wings. And granted... Kevin Durant is certainly capable. He showed that in, in uh, Golden State Warriors. But how much do they want to really rely upon a guy who's coming off an Achilles injury? And, and Steve Nash is already playing this guy way too many minutes, in my opinion, so far this season. And let's talk about the, like, the honest truth here. They have two stars who are just bad defenders. You know, they have Kyrie Irving who dies on every screen and gives very limited effort. And when he's really engaged, he can be okay and passable. But how often is that? And Harden's got this reputation last year of having a defensive renaissance. To me, that's been highly overstated. Sure, he's a good post defender because he's a bit hefty. The two times a game someone posts him up, at every other aspect of the game, he gives like minimal to no effort. And this season, he's been especially bad because whether it's he wasn't trying because he didn't care about Houston or because he's just totally out of shape, uh, either way, he just... It's been brutal on that end of the floor. Like, he's not even trying to make basic rotations. You know, there was the old joke that you're better off having a folding chair than Harden on defense, right? So, <laughs> let's see that come to fruition this season. At least that's my hope. Yeah, I do think that's probably the only... Well, not the only knock, but a huge knock you can have against the, the Nets was how bad they're going to be on defense. But, yeah... Yeah, I mean, and historically, teams have needed to have a top 10 defense to win an NBA championship. I mean, there really is no evidence of any recent champion. The worst a team ever was that won an NBA championship was the 2016 Cavs. But that team in the playoffs was very different. And especially in the finals, when they started playing Jefferson a lot more than Kevin Love, they became very switchable. To me, the Nets don't project to be anywhere close to a top 10 NBA defense. The closest analog to them is probably the 2017 Cavs, the year after the 2016 championship Cavs, that absolutely sucked on defense but had an unstoppable offense. Now, that team rolled through the East and might have won through won a title if they didn't run into an, an unstoppable Warriors team with Kevin Durant. But to me, this year's East is way better than the East of the 2017. There's plenty of legitimate contenders like the Bucks, the Sixers, the Heat, the Celtics. And if they get to the finals, if they get past that gauntlet of East teams, I think both the Lakers, who quietly have had the number one defense in the NBA this season by efficiency so far, and the Clippers with their army of switchable defenders, can provide defense that these guys don't have and also score with them. So I, I think they can you know, at least slow them down on the one end and, and, and keep pace with them offensively. So I, I don't think that they're the obvious title favorites. The other thing is we haven't even mentioned the fact that there's a lot of pressure on Steve Nash, who Kyrie has already kind of taken shots at about how there's no real coach, you know, et cetera. 
the expectation now is certainly championship or bust after these moves, right? So it's going to be a ton of pressure on whether Steve Nash can get these three nuclear talents to mesh. Is he going to be able to get Harden to move off the ball or is Harden just going to stand around when the ball is in his hands like he did in Houston? And by the way, how funny is it that D'Antoni is the assistant and Nash is the head coach to an all-offense limited depth team? <laughs> it's like it's written in stone somewhere. Yeah, like are, are Nash and D'Antoni just going to run these guys into the ground like they did, you know, those old, like D'Antoni used to do with those old uh, Phoenix Suns teams? How did that work for them? <laughs> but I, I think the real story here has to be Kyrie, right? Because we're talking under the assumption that he'll be available and he'll be playing with KD and Harden deep into the playoffs. But hasn't the guy just missed five straight games and is basically a wall? Yeah, I mean, from our Beast of the East episode, we talked about Kyrie Irving refusing to talk to the media and calling them pawns, right? I mean, we had that whole discussion about Kyrie and his volatility. Well, since then, the Kyrie situation has gotten a lot weirder than that. Uh, I mean, he just went totally off the grid. The Nets have no idea where he was and what he was doing. He claimed that he was working on social justice issues in response to the insurrection at the Capitol, which is interesting to me because I'm not sure why you can't do your day job and also you know, work on social justice issues. Um, and then he was seen in a Zoom call supporting the New York district attorney candidate at the same time that a Nets game was going on. And of course, he's also seen dancing maskless at a, in a crowd at his sister's birthday party. So now he's missed five straight game with no end in sight to his self-imposed sabbatical. Yeah, I don't know. When I look at Kyrie, it's just it's always one thing after the other, right? Like he's always up to some bullshit, and it doesn't bode well for your your team, right? Like we we've seen him, like we've talked about also. He's always been like the odd man out on whatever team he's been on, and he's always found a way to throw guys under the bus. And again, like he's he's like a loose cannon, right? Like you never know what what he's gonna do. And again, anyone who believes that the earth is flat is everything's open to interpretation with the guys like that, right? <laughs> so like you, we don't we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a coincidence that there are some people in the media who are actually calling for Kyrie to retire. Yeah, I mean, he's actually long hinted at retiring early in 2017, if you guys remember, he said that his friends compare him to the musical artist Lauren Hill who famously retired early. Um he <laughs> What a yeah, odd he, comparison. I, <laughs> so I know, right? It's, it's weird that he would say oh, that. My friends call me the Lord Hill. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> so full of himself, man. He has such a like heightened sense of self-worth, which I guess you need in the NBA, but still, damn. Yeah, what a guy. And, anyway, he also said in a road tripping episode that he actually might retire in his you know early 30s or even at the age of 30. Well, he's currently 28, so he's not that far away from it. You know, this is a guy who tried to get the whole bubble canceled, if you remember. Of course, that's after he was, like, ruled out to not be able to come into the bubble. Um, <laughs> but it is possible that, you know, some of the stuff that's happening, you know, the social justice and some of the uh, stuff happening outside of the game is affecting him. And maybe his interest in passes just lie outside the game of basketball right now. And, and maybe, you know, he wants to pull a Maya Moore and actually go and actually commit himself to that. Then I, all, all the more power to him. But he can't do this thing where he's kind of doing a neither nor where he's, you know, uh, claiming that he can't play basketball, but he still wants to get paid a contract for for being on a basketball team. There also is the argument that, you know, for example, back in the bubble, there was a lot of players who were questioning whether or not they should play 
right? Because of all the social justice issues that are going on at the time. But the counter argument is when you play, you make money and you could use that money to support and promote social justice causes more so than just simply your platform. I mean, look at what LeBron does, right? He has his platform, but he's also making a ton of money, which he's then taking and putting toward those causes that he supports. So I don't see why Kyrie couldn't do both. But at the same time, if it is something uh, from a mental standpoint that he's so um, upset with all this that he just can't bring himself to play, then by all means, that's fine. I just think that when you're somebody who has this level of power and this level of of money, that money can be used. It's it, you're not just playing basketball for yourself and for your own livelihood. In a sense, you're playing also to make money to to help other people. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, there's another factor we haven't even discussed yet, guys, which is even if he does play, is Kyrie Irving really going to be content being a third wheel? Well, like I said before, we can count on one of the biggest head cases in the league to take issue with the fact that he came to the Nets first only to be essentially pushed out by the guy he recruited and that guy's friend. And That's a good point. And Woj essentially implied that this move was a hedge against Kyrie for his recent behavior. So it, it, come, it goes back to the fact that this is the most brutal media market. I, I just, I don't see how Kyrie comes out of this. Kyrie and the Nets really come out of this in a, in a positive way, especially if they don't make it to the finals or if they don't win a championship together. I mean, guys, we're talking about Kyrie Irving, who had problems being the Robin to LeBron's Batman, even though, by the way, Kyrie led the Cavs in usage and shots in 2017. On this squad, he ain't going to be Batman. He ain't going to be Robin. He's going to be Alfred. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like like I said, I said this before, right? Like, egos are going to be a big thing to manage. Um, I, I think Kevin Durant's going to be not as bad as the other two, but like Kyrie is going to be the real issue here. Some men just want to watch the world burn, right? That's the line from <laughs> in, in Batman. So, guys, we talked a lot about the Nets, right? But there are actually three other teams involved in this trade. How did they make out in your opinions? I guess we'll start with the Rockets, who got a boatload of picks. Yeah, so I love the moves that the Rockets made. Um, for one, I think it keeps them somewhat competitive. As when, when I watched Harden with the Rockets this season, obviously he didn't really mesh with a new assortment of players on the roster, nor did he even give a damn about actually wanting to play. So there's that. Um, that, that's the understatement of the century, yeah. by the way. Yeah, for real. Um, but yeah, like if you actually take a look at the style of play that the Rockets are going from, they're like leaving this sort of five out isolation offense to going to a more balanced pick and roll offense with John Wall leading the helm. I thought that Wood, he's Christian Wood's been really good this season. And now with Harden's absence, I think he's going to get a lot more touches and a lot more opportunity to really show what he can do. Um, I also think Cousins may be able to contribute a little bit more this se- uh, this season, just because um, again it's hard to like just be like a floor spacing big man for someone like Harden. So now he can be a bit more involved in the offense and play a little bit more of that pick and roll kind of handoff basketball. And again, with the acquisition of Oladipo, he's another player who I don't think really needs the ball in his hands because back when 
well, this season when he's playing with the Pacers, a lot of their actions actually run with Sabonis being the guy who does a lot of the handoff stuff at the, the top of the key at the high post. So I think Oladipo's really benefited from learning how to play off the ball, and I think he can be a good like backcourt duo with uh, with Wall. That's a great point about Oladipo kind of learning how to play off the ball. Yeah, and, and again, I, I do think that the Rockets now have this ability to do some really good lineup staggering, so they can play combinations with the four of their main guys just playing two at a time. So it's like a combination of Boogie Wall, uh, Oladipo and Wood, maybe even Wall and Wood and Oladipo and Boogie, right? So they can like do some interesting stuff here to get everyone like good opportunities to really contribute to the team. You know, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about the actual Rocket squad as currently constructed and how it might impact them. I was thinking more about the long-term impacts, but you're right. I mean, just from a pure chemistry standpoint, it might just make them a lot more viable as a team. Yeah, no. And then like it made me also think a bit more about like James Harden himself with the the Rockets and just how badly he like wasn't able to mesh with them and just how 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 blatant he was with his comments, right? So in an interview following their loss against the the Lakers, the terrible loss they had, Harden boldly said, and I quote, I love this city. I've literally done everything that I can. The situation is crazy. It's something that I don't think can be fixed. So yeah, thanks. And he said that as he's leaving the the podium. Wait, I know. He also said on top of that, we're not good enough. Which I oh, thought right. was yeah, you know, yeah. interesting. Who's that, James? <laughs> yeah, like it's such a weird like accusation to just throw around. Like there's an obvious reason why you're not good enough, yeah. right? Just like sit down and like open your eyes and accept it. And and again, like when he said what he said, he he said it accepting his situation, showing no remorse for his words. And to be honest, like when I looked at it, it was just really pathetic. He gave no effort. He abandoned a franchise that took a huge leap on him when they traded for him in OKC. And honestly, like he jumped ship like another superstar that he's going to play with, right? So another two superstars who jumped ship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good way to put it. Like minds stick together, I guess. <laughs> Not for real, yeah. Um, and then yeah, like even Demarcus and John Wall had very choice words to say about Harden's actions, right? So. Demarcus, when he uh, was interviewed after the loss against the Lakers, he heard uh, James Harden's comments and he wasn't pleased with them. So he says, and I quote, my interest is to play with John Wall, to be brutally honest. The disrespect from Harden started way before. This isn't something that, you know, all of a sudden started last night. It's completely unfair to the rest of the guys in the locker room. So when he said this, it's basically he was saying that James Harden is entitled to his opinion, but He's flat out just being a total asshole to everyone else on the team. Um, he said that they never did anything wrong to him, nor have they wronged him in any way. And all they did was show up to work, whereas he didn't. And the key thing to note here is with what Boogie said is his reason to want to go to Houston had nothing to do with Harden at all, but it had everything to do with John Wall. If you guys can remember, these guys are former college teammates at Kentucky, and also they've, they're really good friends. Um, there's like videos of them like doing the Dougie together. It's like really funny to watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and and I don't know. They're like two guys who are trying to come off of pretty serious injuries. So yeah, it must have yeah. just sucked to be on a team like that. And they're trying their best to kind of reestablish themselves as NBA stars. And this other guy doesn't even want to give any effort at all. Yeah, no, totally. And and John Wall also had a little bit of something to say about the situation, right? So for the most part, Wall had the same sentiment as Boogie. And he said that. 
he held he had the opinion that some guys and by some guys we know he meant Harden had huge egos and that in order for a team to succeed everyone needs to be on the same page right so John Wall again he's trying to like he's calling him out but he's also saying it in a way to like kind of peacefully diffuse the situation and be like hey like look we just need to like start playing together and start coming together as a unit and things will fall into place right and it just sucks when like you said like two guys who have something to prove coming from injuries and they want to have really good returning seasons and obviously when the best player on the team can't get his shit together it's not going to bode well for the team moving forward yeah this this just kind of reminds me a little bit of of the billy king nets trades back in 2014 granted the nets got a lot higher talent and guys in their prime compared to an old KG and Paul Pierce here. But the Rockets just kind of robbed them clean of all their picks. They don't have a pick till 2028. Meanwhile, the the Rockets have a solid core right now that I don't know if they're going to compete for a championship necessarily, but who knows? Let's see how Christian Wood develops. I, I, I think the Rockets really did well here. Um, and, you know, I tip my hat off to... The Rockets, but um, I hate Tillman Fertitta. I just wanted to put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the Rockets got an excellent haul here. I mean, Anushan talked about the Encore product, but just from the future perspective, right? Four unprotected picks out of it, and also four unprotected pick swaps. And some of those unprotected picks, by the way, guys, are, are in years like 2026, well after all the players of the Nets are no longer under contract. And the Nets should know better than anyone the problem of trading future unprotected picks away, right? Because as also pointed out, they did this very same thing. And by the way, it led to Boston getting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. It led to the Cavs getting Colin Sexton. Those guys could all have been on the Nets. And they ended up being other teams because of what ended up being a short-sighted trade. Also, I don't want us to overlook the, the value of them getting Victor Oladipo. Now, he's still an injury-prone guy, right? And he's a guy who will need to be extended because this is the last year of his contract. But he's Kind of still pretty young, like he's only 28 years old. He's definitely an all-star caliber player. He's made an all-star team before, and he's shown flashes of of being a star in this league. And he's having a pretty good season so far this year. So they got a young piece that can be a building block in the future, or maybe someone who they could eventually move down the road to after they extend him. So I I think they made out like bandits, in my opinion. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. Um. And another team that we have to talk about, well, to lesser degree, is definitely the Cavs, right? Like, what, what do you guys think of the, the moves that they made? So, I mean, I thought they really made a nice move here. I mean, Jared Allen is a very, very talented young center, uh, defensively especially. Now, granted, they have a team full of centers. They're, they're, they're almost doing what the Knicks did last year with power forwards. But then none of these guys are committed long term. Um so I think ultimately Jared Allen's the, the guy they got they actually want to keep. I mean, I, I do think this means that Andrew Drummond's probably going to be on the market who's having a classic Andrew Drummond season where he's only giving a shit because it's a contract season. Um, so, you know what I mean? So uh, I, I don't think they're they're falling for that and they're going to move on from him. So I could see him being uh, certainly a, a trade candidate come trade deadline. I thought Larry Nance's comment that they've started sex time with a bunch of trees is, was pretty hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the tweet of the night for me uh, as a trade reaction. And for those who don't know, sex line is the term um, that Larry Nance came up with for their really awesome Cleveland young backcourt of uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. So uh, now they've surrounded those two guys as a bunch of centers. They can literally run a weird 
five man center lineup, uh, which which would be horrible basketball, but it would be funny. <laughs> yeah, so overall, I think the Cavs did a pretty good job here of jumping in on this trade and kind of helping facilitate it, but themselves winding up with a piece going forward. You know, it's surprisingly competent for a Cleveland team uh, to be doing this well in, in a trade like this. I didn't even I didn't even realize initially that they were part of this trade. So the fact that they were able to get their foot in the door here, it, kudos to them. Also, it's a golden age in Cleveland. What are you talking about? We This is the year where the, the freaking Browns, the goddamn Browns, made the playoffs. And <laughs> not just made the playoffs, but this week they upset their hated Steelers in a game that nobody saw coming. <laughs> That that was particularly glorious. I, I will give you that. And I and I just do want to make one point. How ironic is it that the term "sexland" is associated with a team in a city known as the Mistake by the Lake? Perfect <laughs> 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 to be true. Um, I, I really do like the Jared Allen move. He's a young guy. He could they could build around sexland with guys like him. And I mean, it's clear Andre Drummond is is they're going to move him. So this gives insurance on that front as well. Yeah, uh, just to piggyback a bit off of what both of you said, I do think the Cavalier situation is just absurdly comical with how many centers they have, and not to mention like all these guys are like definitely like starting caliber centers, right? Like everyone can start for uh, any team in the NBA, right? So of course they're going to have to move them. I think obviously the best out of all of them is going to be Jared Allen. Like Andre Drummond is the classic fantasy center who will put up all the numbers and he'll be a great pick in that regard. But he's an, not, I wouldn't say awful NBA player, but doesn't really provide anything like in a winning aspect of culture. Right. So I definitely see him getting moved. And I think Jared Allen's going to have a really good uh, uh, time in Cleveland, especially playing with really good uh, guards with uh, Sexton and Garland. To your point, Anu, they, they've actually been playing Larry Nance's small four. This is how many centers they have on their <laughs> roster. I would think of Larry Nance as a new school five in, in the way the NBA is going. But yeah, they've been playing at the three. And um, I, I, I also do feel like they have something kind of emerging here in Cleveland. They're fun to watch. I've been watching more of them than I really ever anticipated watching because they've they're just been so entertaining. And this backcourt, the Sexland backcourt is legit. Like those guys are, are fucking balling out. I don't want to say, Anu, you said that they have a bunch of centers who can start on any team. Andre Drummond is starting on a bottom feeder team. He's never going to start on a real contender. Let's let's just put that out there and make that point clear. Now, as far as Sexton is concerned, let me throw some stats at you guys, right? Colin Sexton is averaging 25 points per game on 53 from the field and 51 from three while attempting Damn. three games. That's, that's incredible. Right? Darius Garland averaging 17 points per game on 45 from field goal and 47 from three while attempting five from three. So these guys are legit. And AC, I don't know if you remember, but a couple years back, I think it was a summer league final or something. That was probably, it felt like a playoff atmosphere. And that's right. In a summer league game, because the intensity of Colin Sexton in that game, just it just lit up everything on the court. He's just so he plays with this ferocity and this fire, and you can tell that he has a budding cojones factor uh, because he clearly just doesn't give a shit about the moment. He just will play. Now, obviously, will that develop into something further? We'll see. But um, man, 
he's he's really something. Yeah, so I remember that summer league game very well, and I remember just thinking this guy just has so much competitive fire and spirit, and it's really cool to see his skills catch up to his attitude, right? Because now he can shoot lights out, and he still has that competitive fire. And frankly, this is one of those situations where I almost feel like the NBA media has not given this team enough credit, and this is where that small market complaint that only the coastal teams and the big market teams get the immediate attention is somewhat valid because Kyle Sainz actually was pretty good after also break last season as well and this season for how well him and Garland have played it hasn't got nearly enough media attention but I know internally the Cleveland team must be really happy that they have this awesome backcourt now they have Jared Allen added to that and not to mention Isaac Okoro as well yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Okoro AC. I think he's really good. Um, and so he's been really good this season, especially. Uh, the stats don't really paint the whole picture, but he's a really good defender. And he's getting really good minutes and opportunities now that pretty much the whole Cleveland team is like MIA. <laughs> like they're nowhere to be seen because of the COVID protocols and injuries and whatnot. And also, um, JB Bickerstaff had recently praised uh, Okoro's defensive ability and when they were playing against uh, the Utah Jazz he had tasked Okoro with guarding Donovan Mitchell and you're not going to get much more opportunities to guard one of the best uh, offensive guards in the NBA right so I think he's getting a lot of good opportunity early in his career to go up against really hard matchups and the future can only look brighter from here. As we sit here today, they're actually one of the best defenses in the NBA, which doesn't make any sense at all, but they are. So I think Alcoro has a lot to do with that. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, guys, I have a serious question for you guys. So if Colin Sexton continues to play the way he's been playing and he becomes an all-star, do you think then he'll cut off his little Jedi Padawan braid thing? Because you know, <laughs> <laughs> So he would be then promoted to a full Jedi, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah basically, right? I don't know, man. I think his haircut gives him a little bit of power right now. So (laughs) (laughs) he's balling out. He's balling out for sure. Yeah. All right, guys, let's talk about the last team involved in this trade. And that's the Indiana Pacers. Now, they ended up with Karis LeVert, although they lost Oladipo. How do you think he fits in with that team? Well, I think picking him up was a great move for them. He's cheap. And he really has a chance to thrive a lot on a, on a team where he could be the primary creator. We saw it every time in the Nets when he was the primary creator. He really, really uh, excelled at that role. He's not the defender that Oladipo is, but, I mean, I just love watching Clarice LeVert play basketball. And, not, and, and, and let's not forget one other thing. They avoided altogether having to pay Oladipo, who isn't a sure bet anyway. Let's say Oladipo came back from his two years of rehab and is really balling out. Well, then, even if he plays well, this offseason, he's going to ask for a near-max salary, which they'll basically be forced to pay since the upcoming free agency class is pretty weak. So, in my opinion, the Indiana Pacers have really dodged a bullet there. And, I mean, since they're not really competing for anything anyway, I think that move, the Karis LeVert, and Oladipo swap it is that's money. Yeah, I agree with Oswe 100%. I really love the Levert move. So I think the dude is a straight up baller. And honestly, his potential might have been limited with the Nets given just the overwhelming talent that they had there. Um, he's a great three level scorer. He's pretty okay on defense. Like, I wouldn't say he's like 
a great defender, but us we uh, said it best. He's not as good as Oladipo, but you know he he's he can move on the floor, and he's extremely athletic, guys. Um, he's gonna have a great opportunity playing in Indiana that, and because they need a guy who's going to be able to be a primary shot creator, like us we said, and they need someone who can put the ball on the floor as well. And again, like we shouldn't really be sleeping on Indiana, right? Like Sabonis is having an awesome year. Brogdon is still really solid. And Miles Turner looks like he's gunning for the Defensive Player of the Year with his insane block numbers early on, right? So while I don't think the Indiana Pacers are going to, you know, win the NBA championship, I think this move makes them somewhat competitive in the East. They'll be a very interesting team to watch in the playoffs for sure. I agree with both of you guys. I mean, uh, one thing that no one mentioned yet is that Oladipo made it pretty clear he didn't want to be in Indiana anymore, right? I mean, there's been all kinds of hints from him. He didn't like go all the way to demand a trade, but he kind of just said, I don't want to be here in, in so many subtle ways. So they move out of that situation. They avoid how to pay him. They get Levert, who, you know, may not be as good of a player as Oladipo, but he's like a, a solid player in his own right. And as Anushan said, Sabonis is, has turned into one of the, just an absolute beast in the in this league, right? He's one of the best post-up players in the NBA. He's a fantastic passer. He's just like his dad in that way. Um, Brogdon's been amazing. Turner's having a, a real renaissance season to the point that I, I can't help but wonder if the Celtics didn't make a mistake not using the Hayward salary to, to trade uh, him to Indiana instead of you know opting to let him go and then signing Tristan Thompson. That's how good Turner's been. So the Pacers are a fun team. And this allows them to just remain competitive in the Eastern Conference. So great move by them. A, a team that I always kind of root against because of the Pacers. I'm a Knicks fan, but um, I, I respect I respect this squad. All right, guys. That was an awesome discussion. We have to definitely tune in to the NBA season to see exactly how these moves will affect the whole landscape of the league, right? The Nets definitely seem like favorites, but a lot of other good moves were made by the other teams, right? The Rockets, Cavaliers, and the Pacers. Um, with that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to. And be sure to catch our future episodes. Thanks, guys. Later. See you.